Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk. So, Old Trafford last night, ultimately, after what seemed like, in fairness, a, a bright opening half hour and one of the better half hours under Ralph Rangnick. Manchester United made a fairly tame exit from Europe just to, I think, almost uh, personify their woes. Yeah, I think so. I'd agree that the first um, the first half an hour or so was fairly promising. Um, but, in, you know, ultimately, you came away from the game thinking, this is, this is United are what they are. They're a team that has been... Uh, in the Champions League quarterfinals twice in the past 11 years uh, and twice in the past nine if you go back to the Alex Ferguson era, uh, the post Alex Ferguson era. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, towards the end, it was just, uh, for me, it was the sight towards the end of, you know, the, the, they're trying to get a goal back to force extra time. So what happens? Well, you take off the club captain, he gets cheered off the pitch, ironically, and a guy comes on who's played 171 minutes of football this season and has been kind of so lesser spotted in the team that some of the Spanish journalists were asking exactly where he is in the pre-match press conference. You know, that's that's the kind of um, level that United were reduced to last night. And um, but I think that's the level that they're at. You know, there really was no surprise in um, in the fact that, yeah, that they went out. I mean, I, there was no great shock, really, because you just didn't go in expecting anything other than um, uh, anything that would have been a bonus if they got to the last eight. So, yeah, yeah. Mm. So the reception when Harry Maguire was substituted. Ironic yeah. cheers, jeers. Um, it sounded it sounded more like cheers to me, certainly. Yeah. Um, definitely ironic cheers. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of that was a reception for one matter as well, because you don't see much of him. But you know, <laughs> I think look, Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire is. He's, he's, become something of a lightning rod, really, of, um, of the criticism. Um, much of it, I think, is unfair. Um, but you can't deny that he hasn't been playing well no. for a long time now. But, um, but even, does, even his most staunch defenders couldn't, yeah. couldn't really say that about it. It does, though. I mean, this uh, had been a very patient Old Trafford for a long time after Ferguson's departure, and they were loath to boo any managers and booing at those games or any sense of ironic jeers for instance weren't really mm-hmm. the norm it wasn't that kind of crowd so now that they're at the point of uh, you know ironically cheering Harry Maguire being taken off as opposed to almost feeling a sense of well you know this guy there's a good player in here and let's uh, support him and almost rehabilitate him and, and try and give him a boost to his confidence that they're at, at that point uh, really is a, a kind of worrying sign about the general atmosphere around that club I think so I think um your point about how they've supported him in the past, I mean, I, I remember during Solskjaer's final games, you never really felt like the crowd turned, mm. Um, mm. whether that was on him, whether that was on the players. Uh, last night was a slightly different in the Harry Maguire thing. I'm sure you've seen the video uh, of Marcus Rashford as well afterwards coming out. Um, I don't, you know, it's, a, it's pretty hard to decipher what's going on in, in that video, I think, and his statement doesn't totally clear it up either. But there is certainly a feeling that I don't know, like, if, if you compare it to those final days of Solskjaer, obviously he was a bit of continuity, a bit of identity with the club, and, you know, I think uh, myself among them, many people have been critical that they've, they've clung to that identity a bit too much, that they've lent on it and traded on it too much, and it's time to break away from that. Yeah. But um, maybe this is a consequence of that of, of that attempt to try and break away from it with Ranić, with this new era, whatever. 
um, that you know there isn't anything really to fall back on, and, and, and people feel like they can, fans feel like they can perhaps openly vocally criticise the players a little bit more because you know there's not that kind of continuity that there was with um, with the glory years, if you like. Mm. On the Rashford video, I suppose it's it's it is hard to decipher what happened. Certainly, the one I saw showed the crowd waiting outside the stadium for the players. They uh, were shouting things about the performance to the players. Rashford took exception with something and seemed to walk back towards the crowd, looked like he was pointing towards somebody. The steward uh, seemed in a polite enough way to say, Marcus Rashford, maybe think about just carrying on and, and leaving this be. And, and he did. And so he put up a post this evening saying two sides to every story. And then it's quite lengthy. I mean, all these Manchester United uh, uh, Twitter apologies or explanations have to be screen grabs because they go on forever I mean the Bruno Fernandes uh, penalty if it had been printed then climate change would have been hastened so a video can paint a thousand words and in this case lead to inaccurate info being shared on social media guys for weeks I've been heckled threatened questioned and last night my emotion got the better of me I am a human being reading and hearing that stuff about yourself every day it wears you down no one's more critical of my performance than me but what you see in this video lacks contest context I had been heckled from the minute I stepped foot outside the ground abuse not just aimed at my football people were looking for a reaction from me phones were at the ready of course I should have walked straight past and ignored it that's what we're supposed to do but I want to clarify two things Uh, the first being what I actually said to the man throwing abuse at me which uh, was come over here and say it to my face a fact security can back up and secondly the fact I uh, used my forefinger to direct the fan to come over and say to my face, I did not gesture with my middle finger. I'm not entitled. This isn't ego. I'm upset. I'm disappointed. And in that moment, it was silly. But I was a human being. So he's denying there that he said, that he said, come over and say it to my face. And he's denying that he held up a middle finger towards the fan. He said something, but it wasn't come over and say it to my face, which would have been inviting some kind of physical confrontation. So I'm sure he wants to clarify that. But he's not denying that he lost his cool and he reacted I mean, it does, uh, if you take him at face value, it does paint a picture of somebody who's completely worn down by the abuse, you know, talking about being heckled and abused every single day, threatened, questioned. And I suppose when anybody's stress reaches a a certain level, they're more inclined to let themselves down. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with with Rashford, he's kind of a, a special case in this as well, because of his wider profile and the work that he's done outside of football, that kind of brings on a whole new level of abuse from people who aren't particularly interested in football but know him through his other activities. And I think um, there was a survey done last year about online abuse of athletes and he was, I think, second only behind LeBron James in the world of people who, I don't know how they measure this thing, but, you know, it's clear that he has become a kind of, he has a profile that is beyond football now. Um, which which can lead to that sort of thing happening to to him, um, and you know he's going through a difficult stage in his football career itself. If you just limit it to that anyway, and I think he would admit that. I think he admits that in that statement, and he has done recently that he isn't um, playing particularly well. He hasn't for a while. There's various reasons for that. Whether it's because he was playing through injury before, he's, he is supposed to be injury free now, but um, a lot of his performances still seem to be a player who's affected from from fitness really and and has never really found the rhythm that he had maybe two years ago and that's a long time now um and he's also lost his place in the team i mean you know one thing about last night was when the when the lineups came out 
I don't think anybody was particularly surprised that Anthony Oanga was starting and um, you know, people perhaps maybe weren't that aware of who he was like six months ago. But the fact that he was starting a Champions League last 16 ahead of Marcus Rashford wasn't made a particularly big deal out of. And that's the kind of that's the stage where Rashford's career, football career, his United career is at at the minute. And you know, I'm sure you've, we've all seen the reports the other week about how he's starting to consider his options as well. I think you know we're looking at a stage now where something has to really change. Either he has to win his place back and, and rediscover form and play consistently well, or um, we'll come to a point with his contract up. Uh, end of next season with the option to extend will come to a point where a decision will have to be made about his future and from his side and from United's side as well and you know a guy that you could never imagine playing for anybody else suddenly could have a, could have a future elsewhere There was nobody played during injury and, and to his credit continually played through injury and then had the surgery at the start of this season is there any feeling Mark from sources you might talk to that he's done himself some kind of irreparable physical harm because he just physically does not look anything close to the young player who burst on the scene I think it, well, irreparable is a big word isn't it I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's always been confidence from kind of his side of things that um, once this will be out of the way and once he is playing regularly and once he has nailed down a position in the team that he'll be able to rediscover form and things that you hear from inside the kind of tra- on, on Carrington side in the training ground is that he's training well and that his performances in games don't match the performances that he puts in day in day out in training, um, which is probably why I think you know Ranić showed a bit of faith in him recently. I know he's recently lost his place, but before that he was starting games continually even though he wasn't particularly performing and it was obvious that he wasn't quite performing up to the usual standards. Ranyard kept the faith with him because he saw that he was doing this work in training but mm. it wasn't coming through. So it's about translating that um, and and taking those training performances into, into the game. But like you say, you watch him. I mean, I mean, I remember watching him when he was struggling with the back injury about two years ago and he was playing through it. Yeah, you could just tell that this was really this was this was damaging him. It wasn't it wasn't good for him. Yeah, um, and then there's been several ones since with the shoulder and the ankle and then uh, and, and stuff like that. So it all takes its toll, and uh, hopefully, but hopefully, he can find a way back because apparently yeah. he is still training well. So. Okay, it's interesting because physically he just he just looks a, a shadow of himself, and we could be seeing Liverpool in here, and they've scored. Is it offside? It is offside. Mane turns around. He seemed to know early on he was offside, so. Uh, disallowed goal there because he does look a a pale imitation of himself physically and what's more Mark when you and I think I I don't you know everybody has the images uh, this season of some kind of attack happening against Manchester United and Marcus Rashford jogging back and that uh, on the face of it lack of application it's hard to reconcile with that with what we with the personality that he seems to be who's diligent and, and hard working and that's what that adds to the worry that there's something not quite right there because I don't I don't understand for instance why Marcus Rashford on so many occasions is 30 yards behind the play when United are under pressure and not mm-hmm. making any great effort to, to get back that's always been a, a difficult one to square from afar I'm, I'll take that yeah I think um, he's been I don't know if it's always been a, a trademark of his game, but I think with, and I don't want to speculate too much here, but you know, he certainly he would rather be playing more at the minute. And so when you see that, you do wonder a little bit about disillusionment and you know quite how happy it is and the, the direction he feels maybe the club is going. But I don't, like I said, I don't want to speculate too much on that. Yeah, speak too much about that. But at the same time, I mean, 
like, I go back, to, he, he wasn't playing last night, Anthony Olanga was playing, and that's a guy who has come into the team from nowhere, and by all accounts it is because he's immediately switched on to what Ranić wants and what Ranić uh, is asking for and what his coaching staff is asking for, because this is his opportunity to, to, to break into a team and take it, and he's done that. And then you look on the other side of the, on the, other side of the pitch and you've got Jaden Sancho, who is a guy who obviously, you know, did so well at Dortmund. He's kind of trained in this in the style. Has been developed in the style that Ranić is is so famous for. Um, and he's you know he's playing the best football that he's played at Manchester United of his of, his, of the season so far. And so you see those two players really adapting and really learning and picking up things. And Rashford not. And again, like I say, you just wonder whether the direction that United have taken is isn't perhaps the one that is best suited to to his style and his his, his way of playing. Yeah. And again, that raises questions about uh, his long-term future, I suppose. Yeah, I take the point on Alanga. He's performed very well generally, although the goal last night came uh, in part, largely, I would say, to Alanga not tracking the run. And so, you know, he's far mm-hmm. from perfect either. But that's the level Manchester United are at. I'm curious, by the way, Mark, was anything said in the post-match press conferences or did it come up? Ronaldo's role last night caught the eye in that... He was playing like he was 25 again for that first half hour. He was popping up on the left flank in particular, sometimes on the right. This was not a, I'm going to play the number nine role. The team just try and serve me here. I'm going to conserve my energy. And considering he'd played 90 minutes against Spurs as well, it was really surprising to Ronaldo to see Ronaldo try and play that way from the off. And it was very effective for the first 25 minutes. It was, it was never going to last much longer than that. Well, <laughs> I, I, after the Spurs game, I thought, there wasn't anything mentioned so much about that in the press conference last night, but obviously after the performance against, against Tottenham uh, with the hat-trick and everything. But yeah, you're right. In that game as well, if, just watching Ronaldo, he was, he was taking touches all over the pitch in positions that you wouldn't normally appear in. Um, it was actually, it kind of reminded me, Bruno wasn't playing on, on, a, on Saturday, mm. but it was almost like he was taking up his role of just being absolutely everywhere on the pitch and turning up at right back and, and, and doing things. And it made it feel like he was almost part of a part of a system a little bit more, whereas at times he's just felt like that kind of static focal point who isn't, you know, never mind in possession, out of possession, he's not occupying, he's not cutting off passing lanes, whatever, all that pressing stuff that there's been a huge debate around him. It felt like he was doing a lot more of that stuff on Saturday and again for that first half hour last night. But your point about how it, how it dropped off is a valid one, I think, because, you know, <laughs> we're talking about a 37-year-old guy mm. and <laughs> the thing about the, the whole pressing thing, you know, people say, it's not so much that he um, that he doesn't want to do it. It's that you know physically he is 37 years old. He is he's been told throughout his career that he's this kind of freak of nature and that he can just keep going forever. But there comes a point where you know physical capacity is just is just done. Um, and there's been performances this season where you've seen that from Ronaldo. And maybe in the last couple he's picked that up a little bit. But it, as you say, it never really feels sustainable with him. And that's a huge issue for a for a team that wants to play in the way Rangnick wants to play and wants to play in the way that whoever the next permanent manager is going to be because they're all of a similar style. They all want high-pressing forwards, intense style of play and quite how he fits into that and how he can sustain that into his 38th year um, is, is going to be, I know that even though it's such a tedious debate, mm. it's, going to be, it's going to be a hugely relevant question again. Yeah. Should let people know Arsenal almost took the lead against Liverpool. There was a blind pass back to Alisson, but Lacazette was right there waiting for it, took it around Alisson, then squared it back to Odegaard, who 
uh, took a touch and shot and Alisson had managed to get back to his feet and jump in front of it and save it. So extraordinary moment. Still nil all between Arsenal and Liverpool after 52 minutes on the clock. Uh, the other thing like which jumps about it and, and speaks volumes about the general running of the club is that Pogba's not starting. That is also not a surprise really to anyone. Not a great surprise. To be fair to him, his body language when he came on was absolutely fine. He didn't appear to be in any great huff. But here's this player that now successive managers don't quite trust and yet the club still have this half a million a week contract waiting for him to sign. Um, well, <laughs> yes, it might do, but I, I, at this stage, at this stage, I think the, the writing's almost on the wall, I think. I mean, we're coming into the end game now. You'd want some serious movement over over his contract situation if you were going to have any confidence that he was going to be here next season and, and there really hasn't been mm. um, nothing reported even um, so I think what we're looking at what you what you watched last night was probably Paul Pogba's last last European appearance for Manchester United um, and you're entering the end game now of the last couple of months and he's going to you know I'm just thinking about all the pieces that are going to have to be written when he goes because yeah. you know what's what's um What's a bigger indictment of the way that the club is at the minute than not just losing their record signing on a free transfer, but doing it for the second time? Mm. Second time, the same player. This is a guy that was supposed to be the bedrock on on what, um, if you like, the post-Ferguson era was built upon. And just whether that's the fault of the club, whether it's the fault of him, whether I think there's probably blame on both sides along the way. It depends how you proportion it out, but it's, it's certainly on both sides. But um, he simply hasn't lived up to that billing, really. Uh, and his time will go down as a disappointment. And like I say, I, I think I think we're seeing the final stages of it. He had some wonderful moments. I don't even think he had a consistent three months of delivering, did he? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, there was um, the, the one season people always talk about was the 18-19 when, to be fair, I, he got a lot of goals, a lot of assists, created most of the chances. He was the hub of the team. Okay. But even in that year, he was taking penalties, you know, and uh, he was still he, he was he was dropping out of games. He would miss periods because he was away. The absence wouldn't be totally explained. There was just a, you know that's been the case even in the good times. Um, there's been issues with you know his availability, which is a huge thing. You know, outside of all that, if you're injured a lot of the time, and he has been injured a lot of the time, and you're supposed to be such a central figure, and you're supposed to be the club's record signing. That's a huge problem within itself. Forget all the kind of circus that goes on on the outside of Paul Pogba. Yeah. Um, so he's never. So it, it, the whole what the what the signing was supposed to represent has just never really been fulfilled, uh, and it's not going to be. No. Stay with us a second, Mark. Make big goal. Yeah. Liverpool are one up, Joe. Diogo, Diogo Jota with a goal beating Ramsdale on his inside, his near post. Probably should have done better, but a beautiful ball through by Thiago. Just a disguised beautiful true ball to. Jada, who just completely opened up the defence, uh, the ball opened up the defence, and Jada just uh, left for the shot. Ramsdale should be saving it, to be oh, honest, at this near post, like you know, Ramsdale's worst moment. It's been a in brilliant game. <laughs> There's been a few of them. It's been a brilliant game the second half so far. It's up and down. Both teams playing really, really well. But uh, yeah, Liverpool, like both teams look dangerous. I wouldn't say that it might not be the last goal of the game. I would say. Mm. Um, Mark, just before we let you go, so there was like there's a moment even on BT Sport where Jake Humphrey and Rio Ferdinand and Owen Cargreaves and Paul Scholes are chatting about the general situation and talk turns to the next manager. And so, like in the same sentence, Jake Humphrey is making the point that 
at one billion sterling spent. This is the most expensive team ever assembled. And Paul Scholes is very somberly saying we need a complete reset, as in we need about 10 new players. And Hargreaves is wondering really, you know, uh, or sorry, Ferdinand is questioning. Hargreaves is saying Manchester should be able to attract any manager in the world. And Rio Ferdinand saying, I'm not so sure anymore. Like, they'll do well to attract a lot of managers. So they need a complete re- rebuild after spending a billion and they're on the lookout for a manager and everything about the club seems to be dysfunctional at the moment. What's the latest? What are you hearing? Is there any uh, clear uh, front runner in so much as you can tell? I think um, the, the the kind of time-honoured favourite has been Pochettino. Um, you know, he's the one who has pedigree in the Premier League. He's the one who is... You know, he he was Ferguson admires him, or certainly did when he was still managing in the Premier League. Anyway, I know, and, but he, you know, he, he also admired him. David Moyes. So you know, yeah. Well, like I said, that, that doesn't it's not a guarantee of success by any means. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't count for everything, but I do think it still counts for something. Mm. Um, at, at, at even at the modern day United, after all this change, I, I, I do think that still counts for something. Um, but obviously, what how he's faring with. Paris Saint-Germain um, perhaps is, is making slightly reconsider. I mean, Ten Hag's a strong candidate as well. Obviously went out <laughs> last night <laughs> playing at home in the Champions League at the same round on the same night. Yeah. But if, if we're talking about a properly functioning football club, that really shouldn't shouldn't come into the equation. You know, mm-hmm. If we're talking about a due process here and, and something that's been clearly thought through, then one result shouldn't change it. So I, I still think... You know, if I had to pick one, I would still pick Pochettino. I think it's it's close between those two, and the kind of the chaos element is is Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel's situation because I'm sure that if he suddenly became available at the end of the season, yeah, that then maybe things would change. But I think United would like to try and get the, the process done before that anyway. So it might be, you know, managerial kind of successions. I always think they're they're really sensitive towards timing. You know, you have to be almost kind of lucky with who's on the market, who's available, because it's very rare for top managers to, to switch clubs, mm. uh, go from one to another. So, um, you know, perhaps they've been a little bit unlucky with that in the past. They might, if in Tuchel's case, they might be unlucky again if he ends up going in the summer because of what's happening at Chelsea. But, you know, at the moment, I, if I had, like I say, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Pochettino. Yeah, OK. And are they planning on building a new Old Trafford or redeveloping the current one? There's been a lot of talk this week. Um, the, at the minute, it's, the, the official word is that it's far too premature to really suggest anything and that they're considering all options and everything's on the table. But yeah, one of the options that, that was on the table is is demolishing Old Trafford and, and starting again and rebuilding it all again. And, you know, if it's not enough to do that with the squad, then how about doing it with the stadium, you know? Mm. Uh, it's a big job. It's a big job, but we'll see what happens with that. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You did no it all, Mark. You dropped an F-bomb on national radio and then talked football <laughs> for 20 minutes. I always wanted to do it. First time, first time F-bomb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Mark Critchley there of The Independent who covers uh, Manchester United amongst others. So, uh, Mick, Arsenal nil, Liverpool won. This is a great game. It's been so fast-paced in the second half. Uh, It's up and down. Both teams really going for it. Sky basically illustrating there the chance that you mentioned. Uh, Odegaard should have scored a brilliant save from Alisson. He still should have scored, but it was an amazing save. 
to Jota's shot where Ramsdale should have saved and oh, didn't yeah. you know and that's look the ultimately the difference between the team so far you know but Arsenal have been really good really quick football Martinelli made a fool about uh, Alexander-Arnold and Henderson in the same move and then it kind of came to nothing a lot of that but Liverpool trying really quick over the top balls a lot and just they always look like that was their plan today was just to catch that uh, Arsenal defence out with kind of zonal marking and that's what they did ultimately for the goal Jota's last kick of the game uh, he was already coming off him and Diaz coming off for Firmino and Salah (laughs) so if you're Arsenal you know what I mean you got Firmino and Salah coming on uh, for the goal scorer it's like embarrassment to riches as we talked about with City earlier Liverpool are at that stage now you know actually you know we always talked about them needing to freshen up that front three like you know Jota outperforming any expectations but they've really got five of them now like Diaz looks like he's a good player as well you know played pretty well here well it's been amazing in the in the most subtle way imaginable but in signing Jada and Diaz, which in advance didn't create like, oh my God, this transforms everything. Mm. And now here we are retrospectively saying he's gone from three and like best of luck trying to do anything to replace those three. And suddenly he's got five. Five, exactly. And if one of them goes in the summer or if one of them doesn't sign a new contract and become the most expensive footballer in the world or um, a highly paid footballer in the world, then, you know, maybe they'll have a life after it as well. So like, you know, it's good planning from Liverpool. They seem to be just really really well managed in every way at the moment but yeah this is a huge huge result of a stasis way but there is a half an hour left like I can't emphasise enough how dangerous Arsenal look at times they like other than that one chance there was another chance where Lacazette was kind of put through with a really quick free kick really really good thinking I didn't see who it was but he just wasn't on, on top of it it just went it just uh, um, uh, passed through to Alisson but you know they haven't created massive open chances but they do look dangerous and they're playing quite well it's a really good game it's two teams that have won their last five Premier League games and it, it's kind of playing out that way yeah so 1-0 Liverpool potential chance here if they can square a ball and find a man they have found a man lots of Arsenal bodies it's back cleared. and it's cleared and back to Liverpool and it's going to be a shot and it's out for a throw so still 1-0 Liverpool 62 minutes on the clock there uh, Spurs are 2-0 up against Brighton that's a full time result for you that kicked off earlier on oh it's 2-0 oh. oh my god that ball was cleared Saka had the ball basically cleared and it was just taken off him by Robertson and so Robertson was suddenly just clear in and just brought it to the byline, cut it back, and Firmino had a tap in. It's 2 0. What a, like, that was, Arsenal would be kicking themselves. They had six or seven chances to clear that ball. Oh dear. There we are, wow. 2 0 Liverpool. It's game over. Okay. What a win for Liverpool. 62 minutes on the clock. In the Champions League, Chelsea are 2 1 up on Lille, which means they are. F- 4-1 up on aggregate so home and hose Chelsea I would think this evening they did go 1-0 down and then Pulisic equalised and Azpilicueta of all people uh, popped up to score their second on the night so Chelsea 4-1 on aggregate 2-1 on the night still nil all between Juve and Villarreal that one is 1-0 from the first leg we are going to take a short break we do have Tim Vickery on the way and our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match live on BT Sport this season Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk You're welcome back Juventus could be in a spot of bother They have conceded against Villarreal There is only 9 minutes to go They are 2-1 down on aggregate 1-0 on the night Chelsea still 2-1 up away to Lille 4-1 up on aggregate And in the Premier League uh, Liverpool just like a flash I've gone 2-0 up against Arsenal 68 minutes on the clock and Spurs were 2-0 winners earlier on against Brighton Tim Vickery I'm sure was anxiously waiting on that result but it's okay Tim you beat Brighton 
Yes, what a relief. What a relief. I'm a very lapsed supporter these days, very long way away. I haven't even seen the new stadium. Hopefully, I might make it back in, 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 a, in a couple of months' time. Well, it's meant to be absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, although I'm told you can't pay with anything with money. It's all, it's all credit cards, and uh, I, have to plead, I have to plead age on this one. I'm coming up 57, and I don't understand the modern world. Yeah, but you understand a credit card, don't you? Yeah, more or less, but I like cash. I like knowing that that's how much I've got in my pocket, and I haven't got any more, thank you very much. And I like being able to talk to people. Um, uh, you know, I like having, a, having, a, having someone there to buy a ticket from or, you know, to, uh, uh, to uh, supermarket checkout people. I, wanna, I, wanna talk, I want some kind of human contact, no, and this no. is increasingly rare. Tim, 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 nobody wants eye contact anymore. You can't be going around <laughs> talking to people. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm old school, and that's the way I'm going to stay. You had an interesting piece on ESPN the other week, and we, we made a point of saying we'd come round to you on it. So Brazil's gold medal Olympians have a chance to shine at World Cup. Brazil won the gold in uh, the uh, Olympics, obviously, and a few of the players are making inroads and, and uh, looking at Qatar, and, and you're looking at them and thinking some of this might work out okay. Is that the gist? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Um, this was the first time since 2004 that we had a proper Olympic qualifying tournament, an under-23 tournament. Um, between those years, between 2004 and, uh, and the previous Olympics, um, the, the qualification tournament was done through the under-20s. But this time we had a, a genuine process. So it wasn't just the qualification tournament. It's the fact that Brazil had an under-23 side and they used FIFA dates to play that under-23 side because it's a big gap between under-20 football and senior-level football. And this under-23 side, um, they've done very, very well out of it. They've, they've, they've produced a number of players. They've got them into the system. They've got them used to the yellow shirts and, and they've development, developed them. Um, perhaps the biggest is not present in next week's last couple of rounds of World Cup qualifiers, the uh, Atletico Madrid centre-forward, Mateus Cunha. Mm. Bizarre to think of centre-forward being a problem position for Brazil, but it has been. But he looks like the most likely to solve that problem. Bruno Guimaraes of uh, of Newcastle, he really made strides with that under-23 team. Anthony of Ajax, and the latest one to make the senior squad, Martinelli of, of Arsenal, you know, one who moved abroad very, very early, could easily have been forgotten by Brazil, but they used the under-23 side to, uh, to, to get him into their system. Uh, and I suppose at the other age, at the other end of the age range, range uh, Daniel Alves, who had been injured and had, had, hadn't played for the national team for a while, they got him back via the Olympics because they could have three overage players and he was one of them and he's looking a good bet to go to the World Cup even at the age of 38. Yeah, very interesting. Like uh, Martinelli in particular, you know, we're just watching the game here against Liverpool has really uh, flourished of late and people are really not sure about him for a long time. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where, where they play him because uh, they haven't called up a centre-forward for this squad, an out-and-out centre-forward. Uh, Martinelli, uh, they, they seem to indicate that they want him to cut in from the left. But there's a certain Vinicius Jr. who's doing very well in that position, thank mm. you very much. And there's others as well. So uh, they might be forced to use him as an out-and-out centre-forward. They're at home to Chile, away to Bolivia. Away to Bolivia, the extreme altitude of La Paz. You don't learn a lot from that one. But at home to Chile, you might. 
because although Brazil are very, very safely qualified, for Chile, this is a must-win game. The only way that Chile can qualify for the World Cup is by doing what no one has ever done, which is beat Brazil in Brazil in World Cup qualification. Uh, and uh, if they fail to do that, it's the end. It's the end of the generation of Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal, Gary Medel, Mauricio Isla, Eduardo Vargas, and so on. So it's a really high-stakes game, this one. It's the kind of game where Brazil are going to learn something about their players because Chile are there to win. Uh, and so that's, uh, that, that's just one fascinating game in this highly competitive last couple of rounds of World Cup qualification. Mm. And so the way you talk about Brazil having a centre-forward problem, that suggests they really do want one. This isn't a philosophical shift to some kind of false nine business. No, well, it, it's, it's extraordinary that uh, Brazil eliminated from the, in the last World Cup by Belgium. And what's the population of Belgium? 11 million or something? And, and Belgium have Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku. Mm. Brazil don't have an equivalence in either of those positions. It, it, it is extraordinary. Um, Brazil could end up playing without a centre-forward. We don't really know how they're going to fit in all their attacking talent. Unless, uh, I did TV with the coach the other day, and I suggested trying to sneak 12 onto the field and, and see if, if anyone notices. Um, but but they've come round to the idea of playing with two wingers. Hafinha of Leeds and Vinicius Jr. Mm. There's Neymar, of course. Uh, one of the best things about uh, their, their side in recent times has been the combination between Neymar and the Lyon attacking midfielder, Lucas Paquita. Um, you put a centre-forward in as well, uh, and uh, you're beginning to, to, uh, to front-load the team. And because of injuries and so on, we haven't had them with everyone fit there together. And we won't in this uh, these last two rounds of World Cup qualification because uh, Mateus Cunha, the, the pole position for centre-forward, is unfit. So uh, there are still a few things about the shape of the attacking balance that we don't know. Defensively, they look very, very strong. I mean, they don't, don't even look like conceding goals. But the coach has a, has a, a dilemma there as well. Uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those you file it under great problem to have. Because what is his centre-back combination going to be? Marquinhos would seem to be a lock. But who's alongside him? It could be Ed, Ed Militão, who's coming on so well with Real Madrid. Mm. And when Marquinhos and Militão have played together, five World Cup qualifiers, Brazil haven't conceded a goal. The other option, of course, is Marquinhos and Thiago Silva. And Thiago Silva, magnificent defender, but he's, he's going to be 38 in the World Cup. And these days, he does operate in the middle of a three with the, the pace of, of Rudiger so important to that, that, that Chelsea defensive system. Mm. So uh, the, the coach acknowledges that he's got a problem there. It's a, it's a lovely problem to have. Mm. But at this moment, he doesn't know which one of those two is going to partner Marquinhos. Mm. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, all the attacking talent. It was interesting at the weekend, both Neymar and Messi booed by the PSG fans, having a fairly miserable time, the two of them. Yes, although there's there's an element, I think, of celebration in Argentina about all of this because in the last few years, even while he was still with Barcelona but had fallen out with them, it became clear to the Argentine public for the first time that he was more into Argentina than he was into anyone else. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, the, the boos that he's getting there in France, they merely consolidate that, that, that position. Uh, and so there, there is no worry at all 
in Argentina about this. And in terms of the national team, there's a there's a kind of honeymoon because mm. that they've been unbeaten for uh, for coming on, on for three years now. Argentina, uh, they've 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 taken that monkey off their back. They've got that title, winning the Copa America in Brazil last year. With Neymar, there's a little bit more pressure there because this is this World Cup is huge for Neymar. There's so much riding on it but I, I don't think they're particularly worried about Neymar picking up booze I think it, it, it that that's perhaps more the consequence of the collective context there at Paris Saint-Germain where you've got a side which is always liable to be front-loaded um, Brazil will will hope that they've got their balance the balance of their side somewhat better than uh, Pochettino's Paris Saint-Germain yeah and we're, we're, with uh, regard to the the balance of the Brazilian team Neymar is still only 30 is the team still very much built around him? Is he still the main cog? Yes, he is. Um, although I actually think that the rise of Vinicius Jr. is a good thing for, not only for Brazil, but a good thing for for, for Neymar because Vinicius Jr. has become a global star. Mm. You know, there have been debates in the press about whether he's now overtaken Neymar as Brazil's uh, most glamorous attacker. Uh, at this stage of Vinicius' career, I think Neymar remains the much more complete player. But I think it's it's wonderful that there's someone there to take some of the psychological pressure off Neymar. It's not all about Neymar. It's not all going to be about him as it was four years ago in Russia. You remember those those tears when they they just managed to to see off the mighty Costa Rica, and it was it was it was looking like a man who was carrying too much. Mm. So with Vinicius Junior to share the burden. I think Brazil win and I think Neymar wins as well. Because mm. he does increasingly define his career about the uh, through these World Cups, Neymar, and none of them, for differing reasons, it was hardly his fault in 2014, but no. none, none of them have really gone to plan. And even in that recent documentary, he's talking about Qatar as his last real shot. Yeah, and he could well be around for 2026, but he'll be probably past his physical peak. So it, it really is all resting on this one. And as I think I mentioned to you last time, mm. there's something that fascinates me here, which is uh, the age that Neymar will have in Qatar is pretty much exactly the age of Pelé when he left the international scene, when he said farewell to Brazil in 1971. But Pelé left the stage having done it all. Neymar will take the stage having it all to do. Mm. Tim, always great to have you on. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Tim Vickery with us there on the football show this evening. Mick, other goals going in the Champions League this evening? Yeah, Villarreal have scored again, Joe, which means that Juventus, it's actually 3-0 now. They've just scored again, again uh, in the 93rd minute. So that is done. Juventus hammered 3-0 at home in the second leg of a Champions League last 16 game. I'd imagine in Italy they're having similar conversations to what we're having about Manchester United over here, about uh, the formerly dominant Juventus. Mm. And obviously Chelsea are... Home and hose, two one, yeah. still leading away to Lille. It is quite something to think of Pele in nineteen seventy, still only being thirty. I know, I know. He's like ambling around like he was thirty seven. I know. You it would felt I know it's a different generation and players didn't uh, age as well but still only 30 in 1970 and it was like old man Pele it was old man Pele he was still outstanding as well so it was oh, like yeah. you know but but at the, yeah, at the same time like finished playing for Brazil yeah. a few months later hanging it's on like god <laughs> almighty when you think of it like could he have went to 1974 and, uh, and won yet another World Cup yeah. uh, that team was probably on their way out but yeah it's absolutely incredible to think that again yeah coming back for one last hurrah was Pele at the age of seven years younger than Cristiano Ronaldo currently is. Yeah.
I, I, do, you, do you like Neymar? No. Yeah, I've never been a fan of him, I have to say. 2014 World Cup, I think, is always going to be defining for him. And as much as it was uh, tough in what happened to him um, with the injury and everything like that, it just felt everything was always about Neymar. And yeah. look, that's just not the type of player that interests me, I have to say. No, he's a man-child. And I think he's been <laughs> yeah. infantilised by his father still, who won't really give him control of his own empire. That recent documentary was eye-opening in that respect. And he's terrible pro. Yeah, no, look Almost as open about it, what a bad professional he is. Like, you can't get bored with that. I know, I know, I know. He'll always have that uh, that Barcelona PSG game, I suppose. That's going to be that's going to be the good defining legacy of his career, but it's yeah. not enough that for the someone with the talent that no, he had. No, it turns out that's going to be his peak, I would think. Uh, still 2-0 Liverpool against Arsenal, 10 minutes to go in that game.